Hey, good morning. So Michael is now on his own personal retreat in the wilderness because the other office managers from other the regional offices failed to invite him on his, the retreat with him. So he's doing his own. And now he's come face to face with life in the wild. He's faced his first real challenge, his, worst, his first real danger. And fortunately, Dwight was there to, to rescue him. You know, life is filled with unpredictability and some challenges and some dangers. And depending on how we go, go through those uh, unexpected dangers, the pain that comes our way, the disappointment, we can either go through stronger or we can face these challenges and actually fade away into spiritual apathy. If you're joining us for the first time, we've started a message series entitled Life in the Wild, and we're in week two of the, the series. And one of the questions that our teaching team looked over as, as we were considering the series is why is it that two people that come to Christ at the exact same time is that when difficulties come, one will actually go through that, that experience and come out stronger in their faith, while the other one will face the same difficulties or different difficulties, and they will just fade away spiritually. And so over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be examining that question and looking at ways of how we can move through difficulty or life in the wild and still know that God's plans for us is for a life of fulfillment and meaning. And this weekend, I'm going to focus on aspects of difficulty. Last week, Van, our senior pastor, and Van's out of town this weekend attending a family wedding. But last week, he introduced us to several reasons that can trip us up when we're going through life's hardships. One is that we live in a pain-filled world. They were in a world that is not as it should be, and so there is the pain that we're going to experience. And then there are the bad decisions that we make along the way, choices that we make and step into that can have some painful results. There's also the warfare aspect is that we are waging war against an enemy, and that enemy is going to resist God on every front. And so those are some of the reasons we'll be unpacking over the next few months. But today I want to jump into how do we move through the pain of life, challenge the expectations that we have, look at how we view God and how we view life through those, those difficulties, and come out stronger. Before we do that, let's pray together. So Father, we welcome you here. We say thanks for all the goodness that you pour into our lives. And just open our hearts now just to receive from you. Just come and encourage us. Just strengthen us through the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I'd like to uh, acknowledge graduates this weekend. I know we're in the middle of graduation season or coming toward the end of graduation season. So congratulations to you if you've graduated from high school over the last few weeks or technical school or graduate school or college. You know, with this season of uh, graduation, we like to acknowledge that transition of life. And one of the things we did here earlier, if you came in and saw our slideshow, we had put up some pictures of the, the proud graduates. Have you seen the commercial on TV of... I think it's a bank that's actually set up a commercial of the graduation scene that people are outside and the college president is talking. Any of you seen that? 
<clears throat> well, for those of you that you haven't, I'm going to reenact it here a little bit. So the college president is looking out over a crowd like you, and he's saying, I am just so honored with all the hope that I see before me. And everybody breaks into applause, the typical graduation response. And then he goes on to talk about, I'm glad you're hopeful because it's going to get worse. You will be forced to clean your neighbor's gutters just to get gas money. You will move back home and live with your parents. Parents look up like this. And and you will move back home and live with your parents and share a a bathroom with your younger sister. The younger sister looks up from texting. (laughs) And then this one. And you will make a lasting impression. And the only lasting impression you will make will be on the couch cushions. Well, the goal of the commercial is this, is that this financial institution is offering uh, free job training, uh, search training to all the graduates. Now, in one sense, the ad is really clever and it's funny at parts, but it's also very sobering because a lot of graduates are facing that realistic picture. It was not an ad for the graduation season that we would all expect. Now, whether we're in a time of transition like a graduation period or just living everyday life, we anticipate with a high degree of certainty of how life is supposed to look. We have an idea of what our housing situation should be like. We have kind of an idea of what our jobs should be like what our relationships with our families and friends should be like. We even have an idea of what God and how life relating to God should look like. We get caught in this idea that life should be easy and comfortable, that it should be free from pain. And as we relate to God, of course we're going to be experiencing that comfortableness and ease because we ask Him for it. And doesn't it really say that anything we ask in His name, that He's going to do it? Unfortunately, we've learned either culturally or even sometimes from the church that it's God's desire to make us comfortable always. We see God as this great cosmic vending machine that if we go up to him and we push the right button, then he's obligated to respond. We go up to the great cosmic vending machine and we push the button of prayer. Hey, if I pray today, then I'm going to have a really nice day. Or I'll push the button of volunteering at church, or I'll give money and I'll push that button and God will smile and then he'll just dispense all kinds of blessings on me. Or I push the button, I'll attend church three out of the four weekends, and God will just smile and pat me on the back and say, what a good little boy and girl you are. But when life hits, when that hardship of life hits us, and we go back to our our cosmic vending machine and, and say, God, make me comfortable. Give me back what I want. This is not what I expected. And when he doesn't respond the way we expect... We either blame him or become disappointed or we just choose to walk away and say, this doesn't work for me. It's necessary to reset our view of life and of God. Jesus, in a conversation with his friends the final week of his life, was telling them about some of the changes that were happening. Changes that were going to impact their world in pain, 
but also in joy. He tells his friends that I have told you this so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus stated the reality that in this world we will have trouble. It's a harsh fact. But he also says another fact in that. He says, in me you will have peace. In me you will have peace. Jesus is telling his friends then and now for us that as we are relationally close to him, as we hang close to him, he is the one who is going to overcome the darkness. He is the one who is waging war against the powers that wage against us and against God. But even in the middle of that trouble, he is with us. He is present and he is here. He is present and he is here. Another view to reset is God is not the great cosmic vending machine. He's not a vending machine. The writer of Psalm 115 writes, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God does what he wants. He is beyond external control. He's a supreme power. He's a ruler. He's a king. He's a creator. He keeps things going. He shuts things down. He rescues. He saves. He heals. He sets free. He's boss. And we bring all this together in a nice theological language and we say God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And as we say that God is sovereign, there's something very comforting about that, especially as we think about the things I just described. But what can trip us up and what can be confusing and frustrating is when we face the tough stuff. Often in our pain-filled world, God and his sovereignty is mysterious. And what do I mean by that? God has given us everything we need to know him. He has given us everything we need to know to have a relationship with him. He's given us Jesus. He's given of himself. He's given us an instruction manual and some love letters called the Bible to help us to know him more. So from a relational aspect, we have everything that we need. But when it comes to the bad things in life, when bad things happen to the people we care about and to us, God is mysterious. He's mysterious. He doesn't tell us everything. And for people like us who live in a Western world where we want to have a reason for everything, where we deal in cause and effect relationships, well, this happened because of this, and if we can ascribe something to this, then we have the effect, and, and we feel more comfortable in that. And the reason that we feel comfortable in giving the reasons is that we can control it, or at least we think that we control something. This whole thing of God's mystery drives us crazy. And when we encounter this mysterious side of God's sovereignty, we can either 
respond in religious passivity, or we can choose to react and focus on the known goodness of God. The religious passivity reaction views all sickness and pain, all suffering, as God sending it. Is that God ultimately is going to work some good in the end through this, but he sends it. And our response is just to passively yield to it, because ultimately good will come out of it. And we're encouraged not to question it, not to resist it, not to pray against it. We're even encouraged at times to just thank God for the actual suffering. This view in its most extreme form developed in the 17th century among a group of mystics called the Quietists. And the Quietists spread their teaching throughout the Roman Catholic Church. And at one point, the Roman Catholic Church declared it heresy. But somehow along the way, the Protestant Church picked it up. General society picked it up. And it shows up in this form, is that God sent you this problem or illness, and he sent it to shape your character. Or it also shows up in sayings like, well, there's a reason behind this accident, that that this accident that caused a lot of damage is that God's going to work some good in that. We go to funeral visitations and we go into the funeral home and there's the little card that we pick up to read that on one side is the obituary that remembers our loved one. And then on the other side is this poem that's there that is intended to comfort us. And one I recently saw was that God is out walking in his garden and he has picked a rose today. And this rose he has picked is your child or your dad or your mom or your spouse. God's out walking in a garden and he takes my loved one as his rose. And somehow I'm not to get angry or react. I'm just supposed to accept it. It even shows up in our insurance policies. Have you read your insurance policies lately? Does anyone ever read their insurance policies? <laughs> there. Saturday night, there is the most. There were four people that actually read their insurance policy. So, good people. So, if you want something to do this afternoon, just go home and look through your insurance policy, and you'll come to the section that talks about acts of God. Is that things like hurricanes, tornadoes, fires, floods, vandalism, all acts of God? Why is it do we think that a good God has to use bad to work good in our lives? Why can't a good God use good to work good in our lives? You know, the thing with the religious passivity approach is it keeps us fearful. It ties us up in that even when life is going really well, I have to be on guard because the other shoe's going to drop. You familiar with that expression? Is that life's going well and I just know something's going to happen and there it is. We hit some difficulty, and it's like, I just knew this would happen. It always happens. But what does that do for our relationship with God? Well, it creates a mistrust of a God who is a good God, who has meaning and purpose in our lives, who has given us an identity to follow after him, an identity that's creative, that carries the love of the Father. 
But we can't step into that because we're so focused on what God's going to do to us. When's he going to hit me with something bad? It's hard to have a close relationship with a God who appears unloving and cold and distant. A healthier reaction is to focus on the known goodness of God. To focus on the truth that God is very present in the middle of the pain. That God is very present in the middle of the darkness. That God welcomes our honesty, our anger, our anxiety. He's big enough to handle it. And he's right there in the middle of it with us. Psalm 116 highlights this truth. And I'd like to read some from that song. I love the Lord because he hears my voice. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord, Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful is God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. And in my anxiety, I cried out to you. These people are all liars. A little anxiety and anger there, don't you think? But what this writer is, is communicating to us that God is right there in the middle of the difficulties with us. He mentions that God bends down to listen to our pain. For those of us that have had small children or have small children currently and, and you're in a conversation with another adult and your child is with you, what's it like for you when that adult you're talking to gets down on eye to eye to listen to the child? What's it do to the child? That is the image of God the Father of how he relates to us when we're in the middle of our pain. He saves us from the power of death and the grave. Well, what does that mean? Bible scholar James May wrote these words, and hang with me on this one because it's written in a little older language. He writes, Together the condition of being dead and the location of the bed, dead are conceived as a sphere of power that invades the realm of the living and entangles life. When distress and its tears and anguish and its stumbling grasps the living, one is already in the sphere and power of death. The living are not dead, but death conditions their living. The living are not dead, but death conditions their living. God is very present to rescue us from this death mentality because it robs the joy of life. And this death mentality can invade on several fronts. And it shows up in the mindset that I will just stop fighting. Is that I've had this problem in my life and I can't get over it, I can't change. 
I might as well give up. Or I'm in this relationship that seems to be going nowhere. This relationship of marriage or a friendship or parent-child relationship. I don't have the energy to keep working on it. Or I'm always getting hurt in a relationship, so it's just better for me just to pull back and not relate at all because it's safer. Death mentality says I'm totally alone. Death mentality says I just can't go on. And a death mentality robs us of the joy and keeps us from stepping into all that God has for us. And it keeps us trapped in hopelessness and despair. And the death mentality can actually energize us to step into some bad decisions. God doesn't want that mentality to snuff out our lives. But you may be sitting here thinking, wait, Dave, we all die. Physically speaking, we all die. And yes, there is that time of death. And I used to work as a hospice chaplain, and I walked through that experience with a number of patients and with families. The experience of death is real, and it's part of that experience of a world that is still broken, that is not as it should be. But God doesn't like it. In fact, in verse 15 of the song I just read, says that the Lord's loved ones are precious to him. It grieves him when they die. Next, the writer points out that God can handle the anxiety and the disappointment that we pour out to him. Even the anxiety with other people and the disappointment with other people. Did you notice toward the end of that that, uh, writing, he says, God, I'm in trouble and I believe in you and all people are liars. See, apparently this writer had experienced disappointment with some people that just didn't come through. They said that they were going to show up and didn't. He'd experienced this, and he's just pouring out the frustration to God. But then if you go on and read the rest of Psalm 116, in fact, there's a number of Psalms around 116 that's like a playset for people that are going through tough times. And the, the writers will pour out their frustration, their fears, and then they will move into this time of praise of God and say, God, we're going to serve you. God, we're going to worship you. And hey, we're even going to hang out and be friends and get along well as your nation. But it was this honest expression that God can handle. Our family, two years ago, faced a decision of whether we were going to react with religious passivity or to react with the known goodness of God in a very difficult time. In fact, it was the most difficult time our family has been through, and it involved my daughter, Erin. Many of you were aware of this because you walked through it with us, but I, I want to share the story today of Aaron, and for those of you that don't know her, in fact, I brought along a picture today. <clears throat> Aaron's my 21-year-old daughter. She's a regular attender here. She serves downstairs in our middle school ministry, and she's just a lot of fun. For those of you that know her, her sense of humor is great. She's traveling this weekend, and I, she knew I was speaking, and I, I wanted to share part of her story. She said, yeah, go ahead. In fact, she wants to give you some encouragement just through a quote a little later. 
But Erin was away at college. She was about three hours away. And in the fall of that she was away and living in the dorm, she developed a cough, and the cough just continued, was persistent. We thought, wow, dorm life's really rough on her. Just wash your hands, get your rest, don't stay up too late. But the cough just persisted. She came home on spring break, and we were out for a walk. And she had been uh, walking and exercising, and she had lost quite a bit of weight, uh, some of it intentionally, and others it was just part of what was going on physically for her. And we were out for a walk, and we were walking up a hill, and we got to a certain point, and she was just spent. So we thought, well, this, this is pretty concerning. So we took her to our family doctor, and the doctor checked her out and said, well, this is a bad case of the flu. Just get some rest. And it's like, wait, this has been hanging on too long. So we asked the doctor to do one more test. doctor did the test and immediately sent her to the emergency room. And within, um, <clears throat> within a few hours of just seeing our family doctor to being in the emergency room, we were informed that Aaron had a huge mass uh, three-fourths of the way covering her chest. Within a matter of days, she had the diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of cancer. It rocked our world. And so two years ago, from the spring and summer, our summers were spent at Children's Hospital while she underwent chemotherapy and radiation. One of the first things for Erin, you see her hair has really grown back now. It was very long hair. She totally lost all of her hair. She developed a blood clot in her left shoulder near her, her lung area. She, <clears throat> this is still tender. They discovered a non-cancerous tumor in her leg, which they did surgery on. And after that surgery, she experienced excruciating pain. And what was weird is that during that time in our church's life, and you may remember back, is that we were just stepping in just to a new level of praying for the sick, is that there was a new outpouring of the Spirit of God, and people were getting healed in services, healed on the streets. I would pray for people after services here, and they would be healed. And I would go home and pray for Aaron's pain level in her knee, and and it appeared nothing happened, except that it got worse. She developed rashes in her throat area. For people on chemotherapy at times, they will develop a rash. Not always, but sometimes. And so we were praying against that, that God don't let these rashes, and we speak against this, and she got the worst case of rashes. All of this going on in both parts of my world. One thing that I'm experiencing here at church and the other thing I'm experiencing at home, and it's like, I can't explain that. Two years removed from it, I can't explain that. But one of the things I do know today, one of the things that I am sure of is that we experience the known goodness of God. The known goodness of God through a medical personnel that actually became our friends. The known goodness of God from you as our church family that was there to give us hugs, to provide food, to give us gifts, to cry with us when we needed to cry and to laugh with us when we needed to be cheered up. We were reminded of God's goodness just through music, 
and lyrics from songs. Aaron went through chemotherapy inpatient at Children's Hospital. And at night, every night, she would listen to the song Oceans. Nights that uh, she felt a little stronger, she would listen to Oceans. Nights where she was weak from being sick, she would listen to Oceans. And I wanted to share just a few of the words from that song. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. Well, I'm happy to say two years later, Aaron is cancer-free. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And I asked her, I said, just, you know, looking back on from this side of the journey, what would you tell us? What would you tell people this weekend? And she said this, She says, I realize that you can still trust God and feel human feelings like anger, hurt, and betrayal. That he still loves you in your honesty, and you can still trust him through that. See, Aaron chose to focus on the known goodness of God. And she continuously challenged us as a family to focus on the known goodness of God. We live in a world that's not tame. We live in a world that is wild because it's not as it should be. But in the middle of all that, in the middle of all that we walk through, there is one who is good. There is one who is the conqueror who walks before us and with us and beside us saying, come on. We've got more battles to fight. Come on, let, let's, let's push forward together. Let's pick up the pace. Oh, you can't go that fast. I'm going to carry you. But we're going to continue to move forward. That is the one who is the good God. So where do we choose to focus today? Wherever we're at, whatever we're facing right now, where do we choose to focus Do we choose to passively lay down and and take it? Or do we choose to move forward armed with the power of the goodness of God? I'm going to invite our worship band up at this time. I'm going to have Luke come back up and introduce the offering. If you're new with us, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so just worshiping God and just focusing on who He is on his goodness. But as they're getting ready, I just want to pray for the rest of us before we move into the next part of our worship. So let's pray. Father, when we walk through hard stuff, there's a lot of questions that come up. And just like as I mentioned earlier, just in that whole mystery of who you are and your sovereignty that it messes in our world. But God, I pray that you who are with us, I pray that you would come with your goodness, that your promise of your very presence would just be here with us. 
And just as we worship, as we focus on you, just, just speak to us. Just reorient our hearts, first of all, but reorient our thinking about life and about you. We love you. Amen.